Bay Times podcast on Florida education issues. Since January started, we've seen quite a bit of movement on several education-related fronts. We've had outgoing Governor Scott name some new appointees to the State Board of Education. We've had the state's chief economist talking about the not-so-bright future of the state's finances and the role that school taxes will play in that And we've also had a lot of conversation about what's going on on the school safety and security front. There have been reports issued, meetings held, conversations started all over the place. And to join us in the conversation about that, we have our Tallahassee Bureau reporter, Lawrence Mower. Well, Lawrence, I want to welcome you to the podcast. You haven't done it before, so thanks for joining us. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's it's, uh, good to be on. I am very, very curious about some of the things that have been going on up there in Tallahassee. You've been in the thick of it. And so I would really like to talk first about the financial situation that's going on, because I understand that the chief economist, I listened in on her and you did too, sure. really thinks that we may not be in for such a good go of it as some people are suggesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Amy Baker, who's you know the legislature's chief economist, gave a presentation yesterday, and she said this to other uh uh, lawmakers too, but basically saying, get ready for a recession. Uh, we're in year, well, but in June, this uh, economic expansion will be 10 years old, which according to her is the longest stretch uh, after a recession or a longer stretch of, I guess, expansion after recession uh, in history. Um, and, or I guess since the uh, great depression, I think is what she said. But um, basically, so she said, Hey, you know, you're gonna, you have a big surplus. Like they, they've revised their estimates upward uh, by several hundred million dollars. Um, but she really said, be careful how you spend this uh, money because while we're projecting this, there's probably going to be a, re- a recession uh, within the next few years. And she had some kind of statistics she cited. Uh, Moody's, for example, is predicting something between like a 12% and 43% chance of it happening within the next 12 months. And, uh, you know, this is kind of echoing what we're hearing nationally, too. Um, so, yeah, you, you listened in on it and heard the education part, which was interesting. Yeah. Well, you know, it was very interesting that she, she did point to the part about, first, you know, don't spend the money as fast as you think that you want to because we might not be able to replicate these funds. So be very cautious with it. But second, take a close look at the required local effort tax rates that the school districts are going to be allowed to charge this coming year because it will make a huge difference as to whether the state has enough money to fund those, what did she say, 17, was it, critical needs areas, education being one of them? I think so, yeah. And, you know, that's on top of Hurricane Michael, which we don't know the cost of, um, and future hurricanes, you know, which are not forecast in her her budget estimation, uh, budget uh, projections, I should say. So there are, you know, there's, while it looks like there's going to be a lot of money, it doesn't, you know, it's not like there's really going to be that much money. 
So I know that a lot of people have always pointed to the state and said the state should be the one to provide the primary amount of funding for public education, but school districts have been sort of clamoring to allow themselves to be just leaving their tax rates alone, let them bear a little greater burden with the rising property values just so that they can have more money to pay for the things that they want to do, whether it's teacher raises or anything else that's out there. And so that that's going to be a really interesting conversation because the legislature has not agreed on that. Um, the Senate and the House have battled over those issues of whether they can leave the tax rates alone or must reduce them over the past three years. And it sounded like she suggested that they might want to consider going back to past practices. Yeah. How politically palatable, because you watched all these battles over this. I mean, how, I mean, how, what, what, what do you think the chances are that they do take a look at this? Well, I know Richard Corcoran was a primary mover on the argument in the past three years. And now that he's out of the legislature, but still in the Department of Education, I don't know how much he's still pushing buttons. I've spoken to a couple of chairmen in the House, which is where lately the conversation has been keep tax rates low, don't don't increase the revenue just by relying on the increasing values. And so those leaders have said that they have not yet really arrived at a policy proposal on that one yet. So I don't know. Hmm. I mean, that's a really big question mark we've been asking, and they've had a couple of meetings already, but nothing has been definitive. So we're going to have to watch that one and see where it lands, but it's going to have a lot of repercussions as school districts continue to talk about whether they need to raise tax rates on their own, their sales or property tax rates. And I know Representative Chris Latvala from Pinellas County, who's chairing House Education Appropriations this year, said he thinks that's a good way to go to allow local districts to make their own decisions, whether they want to raise or even lower their tax rates to pay for Hmm. what they think is the most important things to pay for. Yeah, and it'll also be interesting to see what uh, DeSantis' budget looks like, which should come out in the next few weeks. Uh, you know, obviously the new governor and whatnot. I mean, he's. it doesn't sound like to, to me that he's going to be, you know, uh, a huge uh, uh, enemy of charter schools. I mean, it sounds like he's going to kind of continue the status quo uh, on that, too. That's true, but we know from the legislatures of the past that the governor's budget is just something that they like to write on because mm-hmm. the Governor Scott budgets had asked for them to allow for the rising values in the RLE to work, and the legislature didn't agree with him. And so, mm. you know, it's a who knows? I know that DeSantis in his campaign, one of the things he said was that he didn't support new taxes, but we don't know exactly how he defines new taxes if leaving the tax rate flat represents a tax rate increase to him or a tax increase to him because it would generate more revenue or not. So that's going to be an interesting conversation. But we do know that he and a lot of other people are focusing on making schools more secure and safe. And Mm -hmm. so that is going to cost money. You sat in on the public safety advisory committee to him recently, and it was supposed to be a public safety. And yet didn't it seem to only talk about education in schools? Yeah, that that was surprising. So, you know, obviously for listeners, I mean, uh, DeSantis, uh, like all incoming governors, it seems, have these advisory committees on various issues. And the one on public safety, I was expecting to be focusing on crime and maybe some of these uh, issues in D.C., like First Step, you know, uh, progressive kind of uh, uh, criminal justice ideas like limiting 
uh, you know, mandatory minimums and things, but it really morphed into uh, this discussion on school safety. And I think that's, it, it partly had to do, or greatly had to do, with the fact that there were several uh, parents of children who were killed in the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas shooting on the panel. And, um, you know, there were other sheriffs who were, you know, pretty much conservative sheriffs who were backing them up on that. And the conversation really became like, how do we uh, strengthen schools? And also, how do we hold school districts and administrators accountable for, uh, you know, improving the safety of their schools? And, uh, you know, it, it, it really was a, a kind of an interesting conversation that morphed totally from um, uh, what I was expecting it to be. And it sounds like th- that the advisory committee's recommendations are going to focus on school safety. Well, I know that they already had the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School Public Safety Commission with its own set of reports. Mm-hmm. And as well, you have an advisory committee on education, which was separate from public safety that was discussing similar issues, although looking at more the finance and some of the other policy issues as well. And then you've, of course, got the legislative committees. Yesterday, the Senate Education Committee took up for the first of, I guess, two scheduled meetings on public safety in schools. And so this is Mm -hmm. obviously going to be a huge issue. And one of the things that you wrote about was that they were looking at allowing police officers to have more free reign on campuses to do enforcement? Yeah. And that was really interesting because, um, you know, Nicholas Cruz, the shooter in, in, in Parkland, was, you know, had been stopped by police multiple times. I mean, there have been a lot of warnings about him and he was never arrested. And to the parents who were on the panel, like Andrew Pollack and uh, I think Max Schachter was on there, um, Let me point out just real quickly yeah, that Andrew sure. Pollack was recommended to be on the State Board of Education by Governor Scott as one of his final actions before leaving office. So that's right. That's his right. voice might still continue to be out there. Yeah, yeah. He was a huge Scott supporter and campaigned for him and stuff, too. Um, but, you know, they feel that th- those parents feel that, you know, there were a lot of drop balls. And frankly, I mean, <laughs> looking at it objectively, there were um, a lot of things that went wrong leading up to that shooting. Um, but they felt like, you know, if police had arrested him or, you know, intervened sooner, you know, in his life, that this could have been averted. And they kind of blamed school administrators who uh, don't, I guess, are, are you, you would know better, but are more reluctant to uh, arrest uh, students. And so that was one of their main themes, which was, you know, hey, we should, as, as one, uh, the, the Jeff Bell, the Broward uh, Sheriff's Association chief said, um, he said, you know, hey, police should be unleashed in schools. And I don't know if that's going to make it into the recommendations, but kind of when you heard the Parkland parents talk about it, you know, and, and how frustrated they were, I mean, obviously frustrated is putting it mildly, but um, frustrated by the lack of action by police uh, in leading up to the shooting, you kind of understand where they're coming from. It sounds like the committee's recommendations are going to be coming to the legislature and the legislature has an open mind to doing some of the tweaks that they're talking about. Uh, the They made it pretty clear, Senate Committee Chairman Diaz, Manny Diaz, now in the Senate, mm-hmm. said uh, that he expects fully to have at least one or two bills that will be 
fixing up 7026 from last year, which put a lot of these things into play and stopped certain things from happening. It sounds mm-hmm. like one of the big issues that's going to really take up a lot of time is whether to allow teachers to be armed, whether that will be voluntary or mandatory and all that. Parents are and teachers are up in arms about that all over social media. But mm-hmm. there were also other things that they talked about. And I think that they put it in your committee. Didn't Damian Kelly make a presentation talking about some of the things that he wanted to see done to improve? Yeah, so Damian Kelly uh, did give a presentation to the committee. And I think they the committee is going to basically issue a report to DeSantis with some recommendations. But you know, some of the things he mentioned that they're doing and, and think that needs to be done across the state is having, you know, having a school safety officer in each school, single point of entry, you know, limiting access to the school, you know, having locks on classroom doors and, and having this thing called hard corners in there, which kind of like in marking those hard corners and making that space clear, um, which are kind of like, I guess, spaces that are safe in the classroom. Um, that actually has proven to be pretty controversial in and of itself. Parents are saying, really? do we really want to have yellow and black tape in our corners and remind kids every day that there is a possibility that somebody might come in and shoot them and so hide here? Gosh, well, I mean, you can understand that. I mean, but there were these recommendations that, you know, would affect all aspects. I mean, one of the ideas was implementing a single earbud policy where uh, students would not be allowed to have two earbuds you know, like, a, you know, headphones basically on both ears. Um, and they noted that like in the, in the, the Parkland, uh, shooting, there were several students who were wearing earbuds and there was an announcement made that they had made. And it might be that the students had not heard it because they were wearing earbuds, two earbuds. So that's like, that's that would affect, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, but also monthly active shooter drills with law enforcement, um, you know, uh, you that, know that's an a, issue in, that our that's an issue that Megan Reeves, our other colleague, has written about. That school districts have been really frustrated in knowing how many times they have to do these things and how panicked they have to make students in the schools. Uh, the Washington Post did a huge takeout on how these drills can really cause anxiety for a lot of children, and and some people are looking to scale it back. So they are looking at how frequently do they have to have what type of drills, because that has been a huge question mark that a lot of schools have been asking about. Interesting. And and this is, you know, you mentioned kind of the resistance from parents and uh, obviously some teachers and students to some of these things. But another point of discussion uh, on this advisory committee was how do you hold, uh, if you do institute, you know, mandate all these things, how do you hold school districts accountable uh, for doing them, for carrying them out, carrying out the training and the, the locks on the doors and all that kind of thing. And, you know, they were, some of these sheriffs were saying, oh, well, we can just withhold school funding and stuff. And, um, you know, it, <laughs> which seemed kind of radical, but, uh, you know, Graham Fountain, an Okaloosa County commissioner said that, like, I guess under uh, Florida statute 1001 and 1002, there were some, uh, allowances or abilities to withhold administrator pay if they don't do certain things. I don't know. You might be more familiar with that than I am, but um, he said you basically you could target the actual, 
you know, school principal or something under these statutes and just withhold their pay for a year if they don't do certain things, which is... I heard some people talking about their concern that they're going to try and add school security compliance to school grades, which is basically supposed to be about whether they're progressing academically. So as another like punitive point. And, and so there's all sorts of conversations and theories about what might happen. But yeah, that they want to make sure that the schools are safe. I guess some schools still have not put in their school security officers and are sometimes having floaters who are just going from school to school when the state specifically mandated one per school. There are some schools that have not put in their security assessments to make sure that they know what they're doing and how to be protecting the kids if something does happen. And so they want to make sure that, you know, keep our kids mm-hmm. safe, do what you're supposed to do. Sure, absolutely. And there are some of these things are pretty common sense. Locks on doors seems extremely reasonable, <laughs> you know. Um, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And one thing they did mention, too, was, um, you know, like they've had a trouble, they've had trouble finding um, some of these school safety officers, you know. I, I guess, I think they gave some stats and there were about 700 or so in the state so far. It was, um, yeah, right about 700 guardians assigned to schools that are not school resource officers. Exactly. And they, uh, they were expressing frustration with how, with how difficult it is to find people to do this job. And they had actually, somebody had floated the idea of like incentivizing retired police from out of state to move to Florida to do this job. That's really weird because every district that I've seen has said that they've had a a plethora of applicants more than they needed. They had to turn people away. Mm -hmm. Oh, really? I haven't heard that. Yeah. Yeah, I know that several districts had plenty of people show up and, and they had more people than they needed. But, of course, they interviewed everyone and tried to get as many people on board as possible because... You never know if somebody's going to be sick or if something bad's going to happen. Um, somebody might not stay. So they're they're looking to try and have a good supply line. So that's for sure. Interesting. Yeah. So now I, re- um, I remember you also yeah. asked about something that you thought was kind of shocking in there that you thought was kind of new uh, mm-hmm. regarding social media. Yeah. So they, uh, D- Damien Kelly said that they had. Uh, they, they opened up a contract, I guess, with a Tampa company called Abacode for a social media monitoring tool for students. And this is not the Fortify FL app, which kind of gets anonymous tips from students. This is like something else that monitors social media for threats by students or, or something. I don't know. They didn't really go into detail on it, but um, I understand you know a little bit more now about this. Yeah, thing. I went I ahead. And, interesting. Yeah. I went ahead and pulled the the request for bids and the scope of services is talking about something that's done in a couple of school districts already, but this would be a statewide real-time monitoring 24 hours a day, seven days a week of social media. And they're talking about, you know, the major ones and some of the minor ones if they can find them, but the, you know, Google, Tumblr, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all that. And they're looking at getting something that can be done in English, Spanish, Arabic, Vietnamese, and Creole. They want it to be done so that they can drill down, you know, by keyword, by region, by location, and with looking for words like shooting, and then generate an automatic alert and route the alert to police or a post containing bullied to be sent to a student support officer so that way they can get on it 
right away if it shows up on mm. social media, which, you know, Big Brother, hello, right? Well, how do they know who's a student and who's not? How do they weed out students from that? This would just I mean, be for everybody. Everybody, any wow. words, anywhere. If it's coming at you, if there's a school threat, whether you're a 65-year-old man living in Canada or a kid who lives across the street from the school with an axe to grind with your teacher, it would be picked up. Wow. Wow, that is kind of amazing. Hmm. Well, you know, they've yeah. talked about some of these school threats that have come in to schools that have generated in Ohio and other places, but the schools all take them seriously and they try and make sure that they are aware of them so that way they can react and at least let you know that, hey, you might have seen this on Twitter, but it's not going to affect us and it's not real. Yeah. Or, hey, it's real. Don't come to school today. Interesting. Like, I wonder how, like, obviously they're not getting private messages. Well, who knows? But, I mean, private messages on Facebook and stuff. I mean, they also, I mean, are they getting, like, Snapchat? And I, mean, I don't know how many teens nowadays are using Facebook, but, you know, Snapchat or, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I don't think well, so. They're looking at the ma- what they say is major social media sites, and apparently mm. they're in the process of getting the contract worked out, or maybe it is already worked out. It's not online yet, but they want to have this in place pretty quickly, and I don't have a dollar figure attached to it, but the fact that it caught your attention means it's going to catch lots of people's attention, so it's something we're going to have to see how it works and what people say about it. Yeah, definitely, and I mean, there's all, I mean, not... I don't know. It, uh, you figure the NSA is monitoring everybody's communications anyway, right? Um, so what, what well. is this? Too? But, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, but, but this is, I don't know, it raises a lot of questions. It certainly does. Were there any other, were there any other issues, Lawrence, that came out of this committee? Uh, or did, it, did they just pretty much say that they're going to recommend some things to the governor and wait to see what he does next? Yeah, they're going to be issuing some kind of report soon. Um, and you know, really, I'm curious, can can they, uh, they, they were talking so much about having police more involved in the school to the point of like, actually, you know, one suggestion was having local sheriffs take over uh, school police and basically removing school administrators from any kind of law enforcement oversight. Um, uh, but I don't know how you would, how that would work, if that would, if, that might be too far out there, but that's something I'm curious to see what DeSantis does, um, if they even recommend that, though, you know, and um, if DeSantis would adopt such a thing, you know, which seems pretty radical. I'm glad to have you and Emily over there in Tallahassee monitoring the governor and the legislature. We'll be talking a lot about these issues in the coming months. So if you hear anything good, let us know, and hopefully you'll come back and talk with us again. Thank you so much. we Will do. Thanks, Jeff. Pleasure being on. That's the end of our conversation and the end of our podcast. If you'd like to participate in the conversation, visit our Facebook page, Tampa Bay Times Gradebook. To keep up on the latest in Florida education news, go to our blog, tampabay.com slash gradebook. We'd still like to hear from you, your thoughts on this podcast, and any ideas that you'd like for future conversations. Send them my way via email or on our Facebook page, and we are glad to hear them. You can subscribe on Google Play, iTunes, and all sorts of other places where podcasts are available. I'm reporter Jeff Solacek. Thanks again for listening. 